welcome to the Black Psychologist Podcast, where we have conversations and give insight into human behavior and promote mental health wellness. I'm Dr. Kyle Osborne, and with my co-host, Dr. Jason Coleman, we'll discuss health topics, everyday life issues, and try to give you a better understanding of yourself, other people, and the world around you. So just sit back, relax, and hopefully you'll leave with some information that'll have you living your best healthy life. Thanks for listening and enjoy the podcast. And welcome, welcome, welcome world. Apologies for the latenesses. We know we I advertised that we were going to be starting at four. Chalk that on me, not on my counterparts and my colleagues. There were some technical difficulties going on uh, with the laptop and the phone and the you know, stream yard and all that other stuff. But uh, so for those of you that are rocking with us, that are, are here with us, appreciate your patience. Um, you know, my definitely uh, apologies for the um, unprofessionalism in the CP time. So uh, that's uh, that's usually not not the norm for how we roll over here at the Black Psychology Podcast. But we are back um, like we never left. It is episode 40. So we appreciate everybody, you know, that's been watching and listening and has been riding this train with us. Uh, welcome. It's if you're uh, first time tuning in with us. Well, promise to make it definitely worth your time and definitely worth the wait. I am one half of your humble and gracious host, Dr. Kyle Osborne. He is I and I am him. And of course, I'm never here by myself. This guy that I that I roll with. This guy, he, he's always in control, you know. <laughs> he keeps everything in control. Tears, no fears, man. You know, repeat it. You know, don't neglect it. Treat it. Don't beat it. Dr. Jason Coleman, ladies and gentlemen, how are you, good brother? I'm good, bro. I'm good. I can't complain. Um, you know, definitely feels good to be back, uh, you know, having another convo, uh, relevant issues. Um, and you know we got a special guest today, so it's always a special day when uh, Dr. Poole joins us. Um, so you know, as always, just want to um, you know thank everybody for taking the time to listen, um, whether it's live or on the reruns, and uh, we appreciate all the support. Absolutely, we had to, uh, what we're going to be talking about today. We had to go get reinforcements, like Dr. J just mentioned. We for the the content that we're going to be discussing, we had to go get someone that is an expertise in this relationship intelligence, you know, is in depth and knows all about the family, sis, all that other stuff, right? So we had to go get reinforcements. And so she gets paid just for laying in the shade, take pictures with a glass of lemonade, you know, after, you know, her rocks look like it's been dipped in cascade. She's been fresh since she was in the fifth grade. Ladies and gentlemen, Dr. Ashley Poole, welcome back. Appreciate you being here. How are you, sis? I am doing so good. Um, one thing I want you to do, Kyle, while I'm talking is if you can make this public so I can share it. Because I've been telling everybody, so on your Facebook, if you can go make this public so I can share it for everybody, that would be great. All right. I, I'll go ahead and do that. I'm going to do that. It's Black History Month. I mean, you know, we, we got to acknowledge that. And so to be on the Black Psychologist Podcast... Black History Month, and to be with two gentlemen that, you know, graduated from my alma mater, now my employer, I am so excited to be here. So I'm um, really looking forward to the topics that you all have always thought provoking. I was like, I wonder where they get these. Kyle, you always like, I mean, I don't know if it's, if it's your ideas, but you always have the, 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 the top stuff that's going on and <laughs> still balancing it with, you know, 
ways that we could discuss it in a politically correct way. So I absolutely love that because I always tell people that, you know, like T.I. said, we could be all of that. We can talk about, you know, we could probably quote, you know, you just quote some little Kim, but we can also tell you about CBT, heuristics and everything else. So I'm just excited to be here. I hope that, you know, my contribution today will be beneficial. And, you know, whenever the good brothers on the Black Psychologist podcast call me, I'm coming running. There you go. You know, well, you know, we got to keep it current, you know, so that's we're going to talk about the information as it relates to us and to our community that's just taking place. Well, listen, um, before before we get started, um, you know, like Dr. Poole said, it's uh, Black History Month. Um, so kind of in that spirit, I wanted to kind of shout out a black owned business, uh, Sankofia. It's a black owned um, clothing company in uh, Georgia. They gave me this black, they sent us this black uh, welfare T-shirt, um, just to kind of let let you kind guys kind of know what they're about. Um, San Sankofia is a black-owned clothing company created by a husband and wife duo in the healthcare profession. Um, it's inspired by the Sankofa bird, hailing uh, from Ghana, West Africa. And what I have on right now, you know, um, this is the black welfare line, and it's about the betterment of people mentally, physically, and financially, and kind of redefining that word, black welfare. So check them out. All right, Jay, appreciate that. So I'm still working on that request uh, to get that public. Uh, in the meanwhile, I'll get us started, you know, because I know people have been patiently waiting. All right, so we got a holiday coming up, folks. All right, which holiday is that? Who, who knows? What, what are we talking about? <laughs> Right, yes, Valentine's Day. All right, so as we know, Valentine's Day, a lot of couples are looking forward to Valentine's Day. You know, you got people they're they're buying gifts, they're making reservations at these swanky restaurants and hot spots. They're um they're anticipating trying to memorize, like, you know, and, and, and get the right shot and things on, on Instagram. They're trying to, you know, all of these different moments, right? Now, however, with all of this taking place and all this preparation that goes into it, um, some couples might be worried that their Valentine's Day dinner might be their last. All right. Um, you know, for some relationships that are struggling, you know, um, the, the holiday may provide an opportunity for either, you know, disillusion or termination. You know, so, um, you know, past researchers um, have found that partners that are in uh, romantic relationships uh, that were already in a weakened state are almost five times more likely to break up within the two weeks surrounding Valentine's Day than they would be during any other week during the year. All right. So the question I have to ask you both is, are couples more likely to break up on Valentine's Day? You know, like are, are and that the couples that are on shaky ground, like, you know, do they have a, are they, should they be worried about Valentine's Day? What do, what do you guys think? Take me, take me through it, Dr. P. What you got? <laughs> I think, so professionally speaking, it depends on how a person plays it, right? So if Valentine's Day is important to me and I like to get gifts, I'm, ex you know, then my thought is, I want my partner to get me gifts. And I think that most people that are in relationships have a thought or an expectation for their partner to do certain things for them on Valentine's Day. So the absence of that is really what may be the straw that break the camel's back. So like, let's say the other partner is kind of like not satisfied. So it's like, you don't deserve nothing for Valentine's Day. I'm not getting you anything. Or 
the whole movement of that's just another holiday about heart. That, that stuff don't even mean anything. Minimization. So a person that's engaging in thinking errors only to support their stance of not doing it. To me, that's, yes, definitely a catalyst for things falling apart. But it's it's a, it's, a, it's an addition to that. It's not because your partner necessarily didn't do it. It's the presence of the person that did. Think about back in school days. Did, I'm sure, I mean, it, fellas, did y'all only get candy for the for your girl or was it for everybody? Depends on what age I get, right? Yeah. High I mean, school, you better not be getting nothing. You know, you should know better by then. But it, but so I think I, I say that to say that if you find that someone else is appreciating you on a special holiday, that could be like uh, also a catalyst. So I don't think it's always just the, you know, being on shaky ground in the absence of gift giving or doing something that the person can appreciate. Like, you know, you said, Dr. Osborne, like making reservations. I do think in addition to that, it's the comparison of what other people are getting or kind of looking at somebody that does think of you. I, I I was in a situation like that one time where somebody, you know, leveled up and sent me some things to let me know they was thinking about me. And I was like, oh. I was like okay. <laughs> it definitely put my relationship shaky. Oh. It, it made the wind in all thicker in the already happening storm. <laughs> That's kind of the key part that I took from the article. Like, they were basically describing like emotional, intel emotionally intelligent people versus people who are kind of just like either casually dating or they relate or their feelings aren't really involved. Right? Valentine's Day is not really a casual dating holiday. You know what I mean? Um, it, it's it's not. It's, it's it's geared towards people that are in serious relationships, right? Um, and even on a familiar level, it's like your children, people that you love. It's centered around love, right? Not lust, not dating, right? So usually people who are dating are the people that struggle during Valentine's Day, right? Because people who are in quote-unquote stable relationships, it, it all depends on their love language because you'll have people who are married for 50 years and they're like, baby, if you wake up and make me breakfast, you know what I mean? Take and, and, and take some of these responsibilities off my hand, whatever way it goes, I love you forever. You know, that's the best Valentine's Day ever, right? Or take care of the kids, whichever way it goes. And then some people, you know, they want to see that Zell's box. They want to see something from Jared, right? Uh, or, or, or I hate Steven Singer, or you in trouble, right? Um, but, and, and then I think, when we when we start playing a comparison game, you know, it, it, it just kind of enhances, you know, whether you whether your relationship is going to kind of be vulnerable to those kind of rocky times, right? Because just to kind of bring it back to emotionally intelligent people, they were talking about the people that had like a better time during Valentine's Day, expressed admiration, affection, and showed appreciation for their partner, right? And those are the people that they said were doing it more more or less every day, you know. Um, so again, you know, um, if you're taking care of your business every day, you know, in terms of those kind of things, you know, Valentine's Day is more or less going to be, you know, a regular, a regular day. But I think the people that are going to have those problems, the relationship is going to more or less be shaky from the beginning or they're looking for something that's not there. Right. Because you have people who are in relationships that are not serious. And they're looking for Valentine's Day is the day that you show me how much you love me, right? By how much money you spend, right? Um, so it's kind of like we got to look at priorities too, right? Because if all of your 
emotional capital is tied up in what your partner gets you, then there's probably not really much else um, when it comes to substance in a relationship. No, I, that's why I'm, I'm kind of right along the lines with both of you in the sense that I, I feel like it can be a double-edged sword, right? right? In a situation where, like you mentioned, you brought up a good point of the comparison piece, right? Like you can have some people, like again, you know, depending on how they value it, could be, all right, you know, we're going to we're gonna go out, I'm going to splurge, right? Like you said, I'm, I'm going to level up. Like this could be an opportunity for you to take like maybe your gift giving or, you know, your affection to the next level. Right. And really kind of feed into it. Or it could be a situation where you said, like, you know, when you get into the comparison thing or if you guys are on two different type of communication, like, you know, wavelengths, then you could get what did you get the wrong gift? Right. So if you get the wrong gift, then the day is a complete disaster. Right. You thought you were doing something and then it goes completely left or. Like when you said the comparison factor, you know, your friend is saying, oh, well, you know, well, what are y'all doing for this? Because, you know, that as people, right, we socialize. We are very right. social people and we're going to compare. You know, you got some people that are just asking, like, hey, what are you doing? And you got some folks that, again, that kind of glamorize this a status symbol, right? Valentine's Day can be, especially with, with social media. You know, people are trying to get that nice Instagrammable moment <laughs> and like, hey, you know. Where, where, where are you going? Where, where's your, dude? Gotcha, where's gotcha. your partner taking you? And if you're like, oh, no, nah, he just he's only taking me to, uh, you know, taking me to friendlies or he's only taking me to Red Lobster. And you're like, damn, girl, that's all you You thought we were going to Budokan or something. And so now, <laughs> so now it turns into you start looking, you know. Situations start to get a little murky there, so yo, you might have a situation where emotions are getting unveiled, you know. Yeah. And eh. you know, White Castles has that has that uh, Valentine's Day date. It's a lot of people that go to White Castles for that that Valentine's Day date. You never saw that? I've mm. never done it. Don't don't even. I've never done it. I don't know, Jay. You That's kind of shady. You know a lot about it. You know a lot about it. I didn't even know they still had White Castles around. <laughs> But you Yo, never done it, right? Let me tell you something. Let me tell you something. I don't ever have a problem on Valentine's Day, so knock it off. Ever. <laughs> but this is what I was going to say, though, right? Like, the first answer, of, of course I believe that answer that I gave, right? But then this is a little bit more of a dose of reality, right? I do agree that there is an element, especially when we talk about males, right, where your relationship could be in jeopardy around Valentine's Day or Christmas due to cheapness within reason, right? You know what I mean? Because there's a lot of, of, of men, like you said, right? When people start talking about, I can only talk from the male perspective, but when people start talking about, I don't believe in this and I don't believe in that, you know, like I don't believe in Valentine's Day, I don't believe in gifts. Usually those aren't people, you never really catch them returning gifts. They just okay. don't want to open it wallet and buy one right so cheapness i think has to factor in right because and when i mean cheap i just mean like emotionally i'm talking about effort right because um of course you know of course i'm talking male to female because that's my experience right mm -hmm. um an expensive gift could get it done you know but also you know just the thoughtfulness right like right whether it be holidays christmas like we do regular gifts, but we also, you know, do a $5 gift, right? So that $5 gift, you know, it's a $5 limit. So it's kind of like, 
the, it, it, it kind of puts teeth on the thought that counts, right? Um, so I think cheapness has to factor in, right? Because, you know, you can take $25, you know, um, and, and either, you know, come up with something really interesting that the person will appreciate um, or make something or, 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 or bake something or whatever. So um, when I say cheap, I don't necessarily mean financially. I just mean, like, you know, when it comes to effort and everything else. Now, I think effort and intention definitely has to be considered in because you can become creative. And I think also something that should be included um, is the fact that you and your partner should be having that communication beforehand. Right. Exactly. It should be a situation where you're saying, hey, you know what? I was thinking about maybe us doing something or maybe we're not going to go too big because we also have to keep in mind that, um, you know, Valentine's Day is also falls in the realm of being very, you know, capitalistic where, you know, prices and things are inflated on these certain days. So the same bouquet of flowers that you were going to get um, last week are now going to be double the price. Right. So, you know, the communication, I think, well, is let me really ask you, important. Is that guy behavior because that's happening? Um, I think you should know where you are, like, financially, you know? Like, I think yeah. you should know, um, don't go into it if you're you're not built for that. Right. So that's why I feel like, <laughs> you know, right. lights cut off. But you like, but baby, I got yeah, you. I got you. I got you. you these okay flowers that are, that are over the window yeah. yeah. But I think Knowing your limitations. I, I think that's important. Gucci said every night is Valentine's. Every day is Christmas. I mean, he said that years ago to highlight Jason's point about not waiting till that one day of the year to give. But my thing is you can do anything you want within a certain budget. Like I always tell the story about my mom when I was like in fifth grade, maybe she trained me about gift giving early. I went and bought her like some gift set from Walmart. It was like Calgon or something like that. Right. Which is Walmart brand, but it wasn't. She told me if I had a, but it was in a cute little gift set and I was excited about being able to present that gift set. She told me if my budget was $5, it's better to give someone something that they can use because nobody is so rich that they don't use something this around right. that range. You know what I'm saying? Even if Beyonce is drinking a smoothie, she could, it, it might be $5 from the juice bar. Now it might be two ounces, but at least, you know what I'm saying? Get her a $5 gift card to a place that she can go. So if my budget was $5, instead of getting her this Calgon gift set that she's not going to use, she would have much appreciated a bar of Dove soap because she uses Dove soap. Right. So I, I don't, I don't, I, I understand, like you said, knowing your limitations, but I don't think that not being, you know, having X amount of dollars to splurge is ever an excuse to get somebody something that they can't utilize. Don't get me no Calgon set. <laughs> you know what? I also think um, you got to know your partner, right? I, and I think that's where communication comes in and you got to be able to filter out Instagram and live within your means. And I, I mean that, meaning like know your partner. So I'm not saying this as a value judgment, but, but you should know if your partner is a is a Gucci guy or a Gucci girl versus Abercrombie. Those are two different people in terms of stylistically what they might want, right? Um, and you got to know the person that you're with. Some people don't care about anything materialistic. They just want your time, you know? They, would, they, they just want the whole day to be about them, right? Um, but you got to know your partner, right? Because... If you come home and you know your partner wants them low times, you know, and you come home with some vans, you know, then you might have a problem. 
right? But if you're that, if, if you know that that's not in your budget, right? Then you might have to look at who you're in a relationship with. You know what what kind of demands that person is is putting on you. Listen, I and I mean this like yo, Gilly the Kid said it the best way on one of his lives. He's like, nobody should be going to jail trying to buy Christmas presents or or, or Valentine's Day presents. If you're risking your freedom trying to do that, then you need to look at your partner or you need to look internally, right? Because that's a problem, right? Um, so it's about having that communication too and then having that self-awareness and being able to say, I'm not in that space right now. I'm grinding towards something. I'm saving. I'm in my building phase, you know? And that's part of the problem, I think, young men, all of us as young men kind of have, right? Because in our 20s and 30s, we feel like we have to provide like we're in our 40s, and that's not true, you know? Um, but Instagram will tell you different sometimes. And, you know, to highlight what you mentioned earlier, um, Ashley, with like the Gucci statement, is that Valentine's Day is one day out of the year, right? So it shouldn't be just that one day that you're going to go all out, right? Like all the other days of the year, I'm not paying attention. Like you said, I'm not gift giving. I'm not showing any affection. I'm not putting anything into the relationship. But on this one day, I'm going to show out. I'm going to show up and I'm going to show out. And I got you. I'm going to buy the store out. I'm going to buy everything. I'm going to take you to this this five-star restaurant. Like, you know, that's. I think that's also where you get in trouble. If it's just one day of the year outside of Christmas or a birthday that you're like, I'm going to splurge and show affection. And so that's where the, I think also where the issue is. So that's something, you know, now me, I'm a hopeless romantic. So it's hard for me to kind of dial it back, you know, on days like this. Listen, you know, save but, that you know. for the next article. Save all of that for the next article. You got it. Yeah. So we here at the Black Psychologist Podcast absolutely encourage people to, you know, show the love and the affection throughout the year as opposed to just one year. day. That's how you that's Black how, history. That's right. 365. That, that's, <laughs> absolutely. So that's 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 the message that we're spreading across because that's how you get yourself in a danger um, on Mother Days outside of Valentine's Day. All right. Now, Jay, like as you were saying, okay. If you are fortunate enough to make it past Valentine's Day still in your relationship, <laughs> all right, you are very lucky. You're very fortunate, all right? And you may be able to take your relationship to the next level, okay? And when I mean the next level, I'm talking about stuff we're getting ready to talk about, all right? So it's a common and sometimes negative people that are into and um, I forgot the other word, but BDSM, all right? Now it's a common misconception that um, people that practice this uh, this form of uh, sexual intercourse are like somehow like deranged or strange or weird or anything, right? So right. you know it's a simple um, you know sex negative nonsense spoon fed kind of a punitive culture that society has kind of put forward for about BDSM, um, and it's unfortunate because uh, it is something healthy to do as long as everyone that's involved um, are two consulting adults. Mm -hmm. All right. In fact, there are even some people who utilize that unique power and dynamics and pain and play and role play and everything that's involved with BDSM to process their personal trauma. All right. Those that have used it in this way said that it can really help um, deeply with healing. 
So Taylor Sparks, who was an erotic educator and founder of Organic Lovin', stated that BDSM can allow trauma survivors and sexual assault survivors to regain some of that control that was robbed from them. She said that those, uh, for those that are submissive, it is a way for them to take control out of the outcome of what was happening to them. It's a way to release fear and anxiety by giving up control to their dom and know that they are in a safe and controlled environment. BDSM is not just for trauma healing. Uh, it helps foster a sense of overall well-being and it can help improve confidence, release of sexual shame, community building and greater self-esteem. All right. So, Dr. Poole, to this, you say what? <laughs> so first to anyone viewing and listening. I say that I don't think that anyone should do anything that's supposed to be clinically useful without personally consulting a psychologist, therapist, or clinician. Because what's good for the goose is not always good for the gander in these types of situations. I mean, CBT, anybody can use. But CBT is tried and true. You have second generations of things. But when it comes to that... Um, I think that first we a person needs to pinpoint that it's their trauma that's causing whatever's happening. You see what I'm saying? Like, you know, sometimes um, people might present a certain way and they, they associate it with this traumatic event. Like, OK, I was um, I had this negative sexual experience previously. This is why I'm this way. Like, OK, so and you all know this. This is right under my lane. Mm -hmm. So when we were taking psychopathology. I was researching the paraphilias. And so to anyone that's viewing this not clinical, you know, paraphilias fall under the clinical diagnosis of the, with the sexual disorder. So, you know, like people that like to inflict pain, some of the stuff is clinical. If you like to, you know, show yourself in public. But I, I would say that I respect her. I, I'm glad that she is given the lane for people that have tried these interventions and it works. But I caution people that are interested in it from acting on it until they gain more information on is this what truly triggering this? Because as you all know, as clinicians, sometimes we think it's one thing, but it's something else. How many people go to their primary care when they need to be going to a psychologist, when they think it's their stomach or they got ulcers and stuff, but it's really anxiety? So I do agree, I do agree with promoting you know, sexual positivity. I think people should explore different things. You know, I had a friend that put an ad on Craigslist if, you know, for to, to engage in sexual services. And at first I was kind of judging this person. I don't even speak what their gender was, but then I had to look at like, if, if, if it's safe and like, you know, you said, Kyle, if, if people are consenting to this is what they want to do, you know, you got to let people start making decisions for themselves and especially um, for groups of people that have been set to these expectations. Oh, you can't do that. Or if you do this, you will freak. I mean, unless you like being a freak. I mean, some people think freak is a negative thing. Rick James, super freak, you know, Cardi B. I mean, you know why? I mean, if being a freak is, is not the same term. So, uh, you know, so some, now it's favorable. Before it was like, you know, I don't want to be, you know, a freak. I'm a good girl. You know, I'm a freak with, you know, in the sheets, but I'm a good girl. So, but now, you know, so whatever your definition of it is, I'm I'm pro do what you want, but I'm I'm also pro exploring, making sure that the desired outcome is what you want. Because anytime you're taking it past having an orgasm, 
and you trying to make it therapeutic and stuff, I think you need a second party, third party opinion. Mm-hmm. Jay, what are your thoughts? Um, first, you know, we're having this conversation under the umbrella of consent, first and foremost, right? Um, both parties are consenting and they're voluntarily engaged in this act, right? Now, I'm going to take these two separate ways, right? One, since you kind of set the table and talking about it as as kind of like a, a helpful activity, a therapeutic activity when it comes to trauma, right? I would agree with um, Ashley in the, in the sense that um, engaging in BDSM or any type of form of, 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 of kink, right? Um, if you want to address it that way, therapeutically, right? I think that should come from a recommendation from a behavioral health specialist, right? So if you're engaged in therapeutic sessions with a sex therapist, right, and you have had a history um, and through the conversations and through your treatment with this person, you both decide, right, that under certain conditions, this may be helpful for you, then then I would be fully in support, right? Um, now, if we're not if it's not coming from the from the direction of somebody that you're working with, it can get a little out of control, right? Because when we when we talk, when we treat people, when we're talking about like phobias and different things, exposure is usually involved, right? And usually we have a controlled environment, right? And we have a controlled environment for certain reasons, right? There's no we don't want to get in a position where somebody's involved in BDSM. You know, and they're triggered in a in a way that's not helpful for them, right? So that that what that is what I was saying in terms of the sex therapy piece and people using it for therapy. Now, besides therapy, if we take that and take trauma histories aside, right? I think Dr. Poole brought up a good point, right? Because again, she labeled it kink, right? Which is a, a common label that people use. Right, but we gotta understand that as long as we're talking about it being consensual and two people engaging in consensual acts, you know, then kink is normal, right? Um, and if you look at what BDSM, in terms of in the confines of a relationship, it can probably increase your your um, communication, right? There's gonna definitely have to be um, an increase in terms of your intimacy level, right? Um, and then we all know the benefits of, you know, um, sexual activity when it comes to us being de-stressed, anxiety, all of those, all of the type of relief that comes with that type of release, right? Um, so again, as long as we're talking about within the confines of a relationship, um, I think it may do a lot for people, um, especially when it comes, when we're talking about like self-empowerment, right? Um, Think about the whole environment we're in right now with mindfulness um, and this whole climate of self-awareness, right? Um, the revolution is, for, for lack of a better term, isn't going to necessarily stop with mindfulness, right? It's going to extend into your bedroom, into the workplace, all of these things, all these places in terms of self-awareness. So I kind of think it's a natural progression, again, when we talk about within the confines of a consensual relationship. I think it also depends on the the type of trauma or to the extent of the trauma that we're talking about, right? Because not all trauma is going to be, like you said, cured or treated um, through this solely. We're, one, it shouldn't be treated at all through this. 
life, right? You should absolutely, if you experience any form or especially a significant amount of trauma, you absolutely mm-hmm. should be, you know, seeing, you know, um, a mental health clinician to help you, you know, treat, process, and so on and so forth. Also, I was able to get that um, this public, so hopefully some more folks will start to join in, Ashley. So appreciate that recommendation. Um, Jay, kind of similar to what you're saying, I mean, it does make sense that in this particular environment that some of the things that um, that come along or some of the symptoms that people experience with trauma. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. If you have two consenting adults that are participating in this particular form of, of sexual intercourse, then yeah, um, you are probably going to start to see some of those issues or some of the things that individuals struggle with that have uh, experienced trauma, you will maybe start to see maybe a decrease in maybe some of the, you know, uh, some of those symptoms per se, where we're talking about, there has to be boundaries, right? So Jay, you mentioned communication. So in a situation like that, there's going to be constant and open dialogue and boundaries are going to have to be set. And with trauma, a lot of times, especially we're talking about sexual assault, boundaries was completely, um, you know, obliterated and when a situation like that. So now, okay, so maybe that person gets more comfortable, especially with somebody that they trust, which is another thing that right. is continuing to get, you know, developed and hopefully progressing in the in, in a healthy way. Um, so yeah, you'll see some of those particular type of er- in those areas of their life, um, especially where it comes to sexually, will start to in, you know progressively increase because they're in, like you said, Jay, a controlled environment, right? They're having open dialogue. You're um, and then also just kind of like it's emotional safety because that's also something that um, that was taken away from them. Right. Mm-hmm. So now you're in a, in, a, in a safety environment with somebody that you trust. So I could see where Miss um, Sparks is coming from, where she's starting to see, OK, um, you know, it's a form of healing. You right. Know, we just have to kind of be we have to make sure that the healing and that doesn't just stop there because that's not going to treat all of the trauma. Like maybe for that aspect between her and someone else that she trusts or an intimate partner, you can start to make some progress. But I totally hope that these other, they're also in addition to getting, you know, actual treatment. Yeah. I never even thought about, I thought about this as you were narrating. What about if it goes wrong? So let, so we need to talk about what's happening during sex, right? We're not always in control of certain things. Like we don't necessarily tell our body like, hey, get aroused or respond to this. It naturally does. It. And in 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 be with paraphilias being something of interest to me, and you know, in in understanding, you know, biologically what sex does, depending on the person's age and if they haven't had sex, sometimes people become uncontrollable. So I'm just thinking on the flip side, is is what could go right worth what could go wrong? So this person is going through this whole you know, therapeutic um, thing, right? This this therapeutic process, like we're, we're solely isolating. So we, we're not talking just about kinky and BDSM. We talking about it as a therapeutic tool. But I'm thinking there are times where when sex becomes involved, people aren't always able to maintain focus. You know, like Wayne, Lil Wayne said, it's like soon as I come, I come to my senses. So with that being said, let's not, JC, sex is a biological thing, you know, like <laughs> the rapper said, when I shoot, meet your death in less than eight seconds. Uh, My point is the person that is supposed to be the, I guess, the helper, 
with helping through that, they they gotta be legit, knowing that that's what well, they don't. Well, and this, not is what, this is what I would I would assume, right? First of all, it was you know it was a short article. I would assume that when we talk about the individual, especially if somebody has like a sexual trauma history, engaging in sexual activity. If we talk about the continuum of the treatment, it has to be like way down here, right? I mean, this is okay. not like you. This is what my assumption, right? Um, and that's why before I even started talking about it, I was like, you know, I would see, you know, I would see something like that playing out after meticulous discussion and planning with your therapist and bringing in your partner, right? Um, right. And I get, I mean, you know, we're reading the article, so we just gotta they, clarify for people because people watching. So I agree with you. I think like PowerPoint helped me. I, you know, I appreciate you it. You know, for the article, they're gonna get to the they're gonna get to the interesting parts, right? But if we talk about how things play out in therapy, all we gotta do is look at what we do with traditional therapies with exposure, right? With anxiety. We don't, it's very rare, you know, um, that we're gonna use like flooding. Right with a sexual assault victim, right? Spiders. Somebody who's afraid of spiders. That's a little bit different, right? When we're talking about something that that that's that extreme, you're going to be bringing the person along very slow. So I would assume, and of course we're all making assumptions here, but I would assume that by the time you get to sexual activity, um, that person will be involved, right? Because again, we're talking about something that's of, of such a sensitive nature. You know, that you would want your partner to be aware of certain, you know, cues, you know, um, you know, try to help you through that situation. I mean, I'm just speculating, but what do y'all think? No, nah, but I mean, uh, Ashley brings up a good point because things can go left, right? I mean, what if you do experience some form of a different type of sensation and uh, maybe what you thought you were going to do or maybe, you know, it could go left. So. I, I think also same thing, there has to be explicit communication. Um, I think a lot of people kind of gotten hung up on like, uh, what was the movie? Um, Fifty Shades, right? Of what what that looks like. But that, again, that's just a glamorized, romanticized version of it, right? right? Unless you're actually participating, you don't know all the intricacies that go into it. And so, you know, you would hope that someone is already kind of further down the line where they're really comfortable before they jump into this, especially if you've experienced an amount of trauma. Mm -hmm. We also got to make sure that the person isn't using this as a form of coping, right? Because mm -hmm. that could exacerbate, that could backfire. Because the same way how some people feel like, you know, we've seen maladaptive trauma responses where someone who has been sexually assaulted will engage in that same behavior, right? In a maladaptive yeah. way. So we have to also make sure that this person hopefully is like again if they're under the guise of of a therapist or a clinician or a psychologist where they're not doing something too premature and it exacerbates mm -hmm. the trauma that they have because uh, well, what if I that just, person has a trauma response I in the middle make, of something? i just want to make it clear what i'm talking about right? yeah and I, we I'm, have I'm, to get this topic because no, 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 we don't want nobody screen recording this saying because that I we think, told them to do it because i think we haven't i think we're having like three different conversations right like First of all, this article is talking about BDSM in the context of treatment, right? It's right. We're talking about it in the context of treatment. We're not talking about people that just are just having sex to, to you know, and they, and they have no mental health problems. Those are just people, you know, they can do whatever they right. want. 
Right. But but when we're talking about people that are in the context of treatment, at least me, you know, you guys can see it differently, but I am looking at it on the assumption that it's going to follow every other treatment plan, right? Which means that it is it is you're guided by the clinician, right? We don't just hand people treatment plans and say do whatever you want. You know, we we have a schedule. You know, we so, don't. But that's so I, what's happening today. Like people are going to watch this, and I'm glad that we're fleshing this out. Because when people watch this, you got to think when people jump on, like Kyle said, and, 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 and even if we don't present it a certain way, that's what people are looking for. Like this is for another conversation. But the, the gospel singer that said that she would get her friends a hotel room so they can't stay with her and her husband. Did y'all hear about that? Oh, yeah. Yes. Yeah. Okay, so, so, so with that being said, she said that people took the meat of that. So I'm glad that we're combing this out to say that because see, here's the thing. People think talking to a life coach is treatment and that's no shade. Maybe, maybe in some ways it is, but sometimes treatment is reserved for things that like insurance pays for or credentials that qualify a person. So I think it's helpful that we're saying everything. I think we're all saying the same thing, which is to communicate that we're saying this plus. So BDSM, fine if you want to do it, great. But if you're saying it's something, if, if you're saying it's a clinical tool that you're going to use, don't use this at home without the supervision of a clinician. Yeah, I mean that's just I mean that's just as dangerous as self-diagnosis. That's why I don't even really count it. You know what I mean? That's like somebody saying, like, I'm treating myself with depression and I just breathe every time I have a bad thought. It doesn't really count as a person that has depression to me because that's just a person that's doing whatever they want to do. You know what I'm saying? Um, so I get it, you know, but in that in that sense, it's like BDSM can be dangerous for anybody or just sex in general can be dangerous for anybody because it's a more general conversation about consent and boundaries and that stuff. You know what I mean? Um, but but I you mean, know, people just, will do it, though. You know, people after they've experienced an event or whatever mental health issue, you never know kind of like with that particular individual, if they do something and it maybe it alleviates it in the moment, they're going to go back to it. They may say, oh, I don't need to go to, I don't need to go to a therapist well, because I've done this and, and it helps me. And that's why absolutely we want to flush it out and say like, no, this, we highly recommend that if you have experienced trauma, like you definitely need to seek treatment under, you know, the supervision <laughs> of I, I, a I get it, but I, where, where, where y'all missing you know, me is that it's like any, it's like what you what y'all describing is just a maladaptive coping skill, right? It could be drinking, it right. could be gambling, right. it could be BDSM, it could right. that's why I'm missing it because I'm like, well, in that case, it's just mal maladaptive, but you know, y'all are right, you know, any because it's more than clinicians do. just viewing. Like one of my homegirls just shared it. Like it's it's more than clinicians just viewing, so I want to make sure that we highlight what we're saying. Do what you want to do. I mean, that's a good point, though. It's a, it's a good point. It's a good point. It's very valid. Yeah, you know, do what you do. Like you said, within consulting, you know, adults behind closed doors, fine, have at it, whatever. Just, again, just be careful if you have experienced trauma, you know, and don't let this be the sole, <laughs> you know, the sole treatment course. You know, because, okay, exactly. Let me ask y'all, do y'all watch lip service? Do y'all watch lip service? No, is that Angela have y'all heard of that Angela podcast? Yee? Angela Yee? Yes. No, I don't watch it, but I heard like I seen. No, I heard about it. Okay. Because they do a lot of um 
talking about like these kind of topics and what people are into. And, you know, now thing nowadays, like BDSM is, is kink is turning into mainstream. This is what people do. You know, back in the day, certain acts used to be, oh, who does that? But nowadays, if you don't do certain things, you know, and this conversation made me think about that. But I think we highlighted the point of it. And, you know, again, a great artist. Now, do you think, because again, right, I, my, I, I kind of subscribe to the theory. Like, I think like, it, it's kind of like before that movie, I think people was just suppressing what they were doing anyway. You know what I mean? I, um, so what do you think? Do you think it's people getting new ideas to like, you know, engage in BDSM? Or do you think it's people that are just kind of feeling more comfortable talking of either two like new partners about things that they would like anyway, or, you know, they just feeling more empowered? That's a good question. I would say a little bit of both, but I think the most, the biggest thing to me, it's not even empower, it's attraction. So y'all know I presented on an APA at APA on like social media mental health. And so everybody now wants a platform that's gonna make them marketable. Sex sells. Sex has always sold, right? You know what I'm saying? Like, I mean, so now the freakier you are and the nastier you are, it's like that's a badge of honor. So I almost think that this conversation is so good because I'm hoping people aren't doing. I hope people are getting enjoyment out of whatever they're doing and whatever they're saying, this is what I do. And they're not just doing it because, you know, guys are having these, they watching podcasts like this where guys are saying, you know, guys like y'all that are influential, they have their stuff together. Well, yeah, you know, I mean, cause y'all could have did this. If y'all wasn't psychologists, y'all might deviate and saying, yeah, cause you know, if I slap one, you know, I turn in the eight turner over. Maybe y'all eight. See, here's the thing in, in BDSM, the, the woman can be eight. So that's well, that's, that's true, true. right? <laughs> so so that's you know, who's the submissive one. So let's not make any assumptions about, you know, any of that. So the thing is that I do feel like the movie itself, especially, um, I think made it more like the, the it lessened the stigma behind it. Um, and I think now we're, we are in that day and age where, you know, sexual exploration and sexual freedom and liberation is definitely at an all time high. Now, I would say as far as like BDSM, again, I haven't, you know, I'm not in, the, in out there in the game, so I don't know if it's a situation where on the first day or you're in your first like kind of um, episode, somebody's breaking out the BDSM. Like, I would hope that that's something that you and as like someone that you're in a relationship with, communication, because again, like we just talked about it, boundary, rules, trust, all these things have to be established. So, I mean, so, I could be wrong. I don't know if that's being broken out on the first sexual episode. So what you're but, saying is, you know, you got to wait until day three to go get that, go get the book bag out the garage, out, out the uh, closet. I mean, coming out, I mean, coming out on day one might be a little strong. I mean, you're coming in a little hot with that. So I don't, I don't know. If it's, <laughs> Listen, you can, you can just come back from the bathroom with the You know, I'll be right, the, I'll, the, I'll be right back. Yeah, yeah. Maybe, I don't that's, know if that's, maybe that's the gift. I don't maybe know if that's, that's the gift. You know? You know? I don't know if that's Listen, included. That I'll be right back. Let me freshen up. You come back with the bag. I, I don't know. I'm not sure. So, 
We'll see. So, but speaking of trauma, though, I'm happy you mentioned it, right? So, trauma. Tattooing is often seen as a fashion statement, but they can also be many other things, right? It could be exquisite art. It could be uh, self-expression. It could be a tribute, or it could be an act of defiance. But for some, it could also be therapeutic. It could uh, be a powerful, a powerful type of therapy um, that helps with mental health recovery from trauma. So according to uh, clinical psychologist, Dr. Joanna Livingstone, she's a director at Key Psychology Services. Um, she says that tattooing enhances self-esteem and self-confidence, which uh, are both central to mental well-being and overcoming traumatic experiences. Jay, you have one or two tattoos, so I want to get your take <laughs> on this first. <laughs> what, what, what do you think? Um. Listen, I, I thought this was, that's part of the reason why I wanted to do this article. I thought it was interesting. Um, I don't know if you remember, remember in our first class, we actually did an assignment on whether or not um, tattoos would affect like our client's kind of view of us. Right? Yeah, yeah. That was our, um, probably, like, our first conversation that we talked about. I remember that. And, and you, both of y'all know, like it's a subject we talked about a lot. You know, I, I, I have a lot of tattoos. I have, you know, a couple sleeves. Um, listen, I... I think when it comes to trauma, it's, it's, it's a very interesting thing, right? Because I think a lot of people use tattoos to kind of identify like significant events in their life, right? Good and bad, right? I used to get a tattoo after I survived every every um, semester at Pecom. I used to call it my therapy. I would go get a tattoo and just keep putting my sleeve together, right? Um, partly because I only had the money to do it in pieces too, but that was, <laughs> that was me celebrating, you know, getting an A or getting a good grade, right? Um, and we all know people who have RIP or have faces or grandma, mm -hmm. mom's face. Um, yeah. And again, that's another type of like celebra celebration, right? Um, so I think the relationship between trauma and tattoos is, is wrapped up, right? Because for some people, it's going to represent the end of something, right? Somebody who might have really, uh, who has right up reached like a significant uh, mark um, or Mark, when it comes to like AA or NA, right? Or, or somebody who's um, a cancer survivor, right? Like these are very significant events in somebody's life, um, you know, that could either be the culmination of trauma or just a symbol that you're still battling through it, right? Um, yeah. So I want to know what y'all think, but I, I you know, I, I definitely, um, you know, agree with the kind of premise of this article. Um, and I, I honestly, I think that it's a good way to learn about people, right? Because uh, there's been a lot of clients I've had, you know, and it's like I've noticed them either trying to cover up a tattoo or hold it down low, or yeah. maybe they notice mine, you know, because I, I, I got Proverbs 69 on my hand. Um, and then we start talking, right? Um, so, and they, and they start kind of talking to me about certain things. So, again, um, I think the relationship is intertwined. Yeah. What do you think, Ash? What do you think? So I was just going to add that um, I definitely agree. Um, I don't disagree with anything that you stated. Um, and I also have heard that tattoos are addictive. Like I've, I've read that like once you get it and it becomes a form of expression. But I do know someone that was um, violated sexually in a female and they got a gun tattooed on them. This, this female has a has a Glock tattooed on her. And... It, and, and I would have never, I don't, I think that's how I learned more in depth 
about the impact of the trauma and, and coping with it. But, you know, Jason, it sounds like, I mean, and, and I don't know, though, it sounds like yours is like more celebratory. And I yeah. guess this this coping with the trauma, like, because because we have to look at, um, and I need to review the article again, but like time frames in which the person gets the, the tattoo, you right? Like if it's in the midst of something, because, you know, some people just like to, just like the, the, the pain that comes from getting the tattoo, with the distraction. So, so I'm looking at time frames, but immediately when I read it, I thought about the person that had been violated and that gun represented no one will ever take advantage of that, that her body again. That's a powerful statement right there. Yeah, like I, I feel, and that, that kind of contributes to what I was getting ready to say is the, um, like tattoos, I think absolutely have a healing potential. Um, like when you take into consideration uh, the reason for the tattoo, like you said, whether it might be celebratory uh, or like you're remembering someone, like someone gets a portrait of, uh, you know, like on their arm or leg or someone maybe that passed. Um, the choice of the tattoo, like you said, so it could be like in your case that you just mentioned, Ashley, like the gun um, and the experience of getting the tattoo. Mm-hmm. Right? I think a lot of those things kind of mix her in. And then it's also it's like. The body is a canvas, right? And that's what people are using. So when you have the canvas, it's like it's a visual. Um, it can become a visual source of healing, right? You have some individuals that maybe that used to self-harm or, or cut, and sometimes they get the tattoos to cover that up, right? Mm-hmm. Or it be, it's like a physical, for some, it can be like a physical transformation, um, like the birth of a new self for some people, right? It's like you're able to de- get depicted images and words and um, it, it can actually, like, really, like you said, that that new birth of coming into a different form of where that evolution of where that person was, where they maybe when they experienced the trauma, to where they are now. So I I absolutely feel um, that there's definitely a lot of overlap. I think there's a lot of um, it does have the healing potential, especially visually of you know some of the scars that people wear or experience that kind of goes into it. Hmm. Um, I, the last, well, to piggyback on what you said, I, I thought that was a real good point because, um, like enhancing self-esteem, right? We don't necessarily look at it like that, but for a lot of people, you got to look like some people are covered in tattoos, mm-hmm. right? And I ain't talking about gang affiliation. I'm just talking about people that just love the ink, right? Um, people like me, right? Whole arms covered to the point where it's like, I can't, you can't go to class like that. You can't teach your classes like that. And we just understand it's a lifestyle. But my point is, um, it's like the skin you create, right? So you can be a person that does not like your appearance and change it, right? You can be a person that, say you're not the tallest guy, or you're not the strongest guy, or you don't think you're the attract, most attractive guy, right? These, these are, are, are stable characteristics, right? They're not changing, right? Um, but other things we do, that can enhance our self-esteem. Like I can go to the gym and I may be short, but I but I, I can be the strongest guy, right? Um, I can make myself more athletic. And, and I think it kind of, I can, I can go get a haircut. I think tattoos is more permanent, but I think it works with self-esteem kind of the same way because you might not be thinking the most attractive guy, right? But every time you go out, somebody may say, yo, that's a dope tattoo. Where'd you get that, man? Or, or I like that. That enhances your, your self-esteem probably for some yeah. people. And if we're being honest, it's not a bad conversation starter when you're in Jamaica in the pool. 
You know what I mean? <laughs> then that see that that that's you know, guys. I've had to convince Jason to wear clothes when yeah. we do episodes because you know he wants to just come out here. You know, Body washed up like the subway in Harlem. Yeah, like you know, we we know. I'm like, listen, Jay. I know that that that's what they want to see. Like, I know that gets a certain population yeah, of views and hits. But I'm like, listen, we got we got to do it. <laughs> Like we gotta do it in a different manner, right? You know what I mean? Like we can't we can't go the, the, the sex route all the time, you know. But I know well we get it, right? But you know, you brought up a good point though. Um is the is a conversation piece because it's the connection. So the same way how we said with BDSM, of course, is not a form of treatment. Um, you know, the same thing with tattoos. Like if you have experienced trauma, you know, get going out and getting a tattoo is not gonna you know, it's not treatment for, for your trauma symptoms. Like we did, it has the healing potential. And I say that because when you said people ask you about the tattoo, it's a conversation piece. We know for a lot of people how difficult it is for anyone to talk about their trauma, right? We know we would love for everyone that's experienced trauma to go and, and speak to a psychologist or a therapist, but we know it's just not that easy. And some people just aren't comfortable at that point. However, you have one, people ask about their ink, right? When someone's walking out and they see a nice, you know, tattoo, they ask about it. So now that opens the person up and say, oh, well, it represents this, right? This is, you know, my grandmother or this is what took place to me. And actually, your point, this is a gun. It represents something that I'm not going to allow to happen to me again. So now where before that person might have had difficulty having that conversation, it opens it up, right? Same thing, I think, also is that... Um, you have that conversation with the tattoo artist, right? So depending on how long you're there, when you get a tattoo, you, you might be in the chair for a minute. So, for, you know, tattoo artists are kind of looked at the same way how, like, bartenders, right, or the people that folks tend to open up to, you know, when they don't like therapy or they don't like, you know, a clinician or whatever, or what have you. But people will open up to a tattoo artist, right, because you have to go in there, you have to describe what you want, right? And a, a lot of times... That's associated with a story. Like when you're telling a person, they're going over, okay, this image, this color scheme, what about this, what about that? Like you're going to, you have to describe to the, the artist what you want and you guys are sharing ideas. And even like Jay, you know, like when you're getting the tattoo done, like you're talking, you're having a conversation. Like you're usually talking about what the piece is, like what it, what it, what's going into it, why you decided to get it. You're talking more about yourself. And I feel like that opens up, right? Because the person is sharing their story. They're sharing their pain. They're sharing, you know, their resilience. All the other different factors go into it. So that's what I, like, for me, I feel like the tattoo absolutely prompts maybe that person into that healing-ready conversation or direction where if they were able to talk to a tattoo artist, then maybe they, they might be more comfortable also now talking to a family member, talking to a clinician. So I like that conversation piece, which I think is really important with the tattoo. Yeah. One thing I was thinking um, also to kind of like add is when it comes to like like Jason's comments about what tattoos represent and mean, do you think it's still like that, Jason? Like in terms of I can't go to certain settings, do you, you think it's oh, still like that? Yo, it's crazy because I was going to ask you because, you know, we worked together for a long time. Um, and you, you helped know, me stay on point with what conversations needed to happen in that setting versus I mean but 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 listen you know like that's what we do right we help, we yeah. help each other right um 
But you know, me and you used to have the conversation because it could be 95 degrees outside. And one thing that we know is that Jason is going to walk in the office with long sleeves on, right? Um, do I do I feel like it's it's that way in general? No, right? I think um, the world in general is not shocked to see a black man with dreads anymore or, or somebody with with, with sleeves. Um, so a person doesn't, I don't think everybody necessarily sees that and makes those judgments anymore, right? But that's the world, right? Now let's talk about fraternities, like our profession, right? Our profession is still different. Do I still think that the world is ready to see a psychologist with double sleeves, tat, all tat? They will accept it, like anything else in this world, if your credentials line up and, 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 and Everything is airtight, right? Excuse me. But I only say that to say, like, with certain professions, it's just, it, it'll just be hard, right? When we talk about, like, CEOs, bankers, your psychologist, your doctor, there's, there's an image that people have in their mind about your accountant, your lawyer. Most people don't want to see their lawyer in, in a pair of ripped jeans, Timberlands, and on his summer vacation in a you know, in a, in a tank top, you know, it's a little harder pill to to, to swallow. That's my opinion, but I want to know what you think. I, I think it's changing, Jay. Now I'm I'm with you. I think the majority is still at that point for certain professions, but I also think taking consideration a lot of these professions are are experiencing a changing of the guard, right? right. So you're starting to see a lot of younger professionals coming into in all these other different industries. And a lot of them are coming with tattoos. Like you can go into any hospital. I guarantee you, you're going to see a, a whole bunch of nurses with tattoos. Right. I think in our, in our situation, I think you, it's important. You did mention the credentials because if you have the credentials, it's kind of hard to argue that what I'll say in our field, absolutely. It might depend on the population that you're, you're treating. If you're in substance use, right, substance abuse, you're like, you know, you're working inpatient or you're working at a sub, I don't think tattoos are really going to matter because your population that you're serving also mostly has tattoos. They might even look at it as a way like, oh, okay, I can identify this person and you're more, this person's more real. The realist, you might see you more as a real person because you also oh, have tattoos, cool. right? So it might, that might actually work to your benefit. So I think in our field, it just kind of depends on the, like the, the patient that you have in front of you, right? I think you, you're more seen as a person. Even with CEOs and bankers, you're starting to see a lot more younger entrepreneurs, a lot more people that are like the, the Zuckerbergs and all these other different folks. These young millionaires, a lot of them are younger now. So but I, see, I that's what I mean. We got, we got to clarify, right? I'm not talking about tech CEOs that are 20 years old sitting on TV with a hoodie, right? I'm talking about the CEO of Chase Bank, right? The CEO of this corporate <laughs> And, that, and that's why I said, it's no disrespect to nurses, but I, I was very specific in what I said, right? In terms of no, they're they're on their way out, though, Jay. That's the thing. Yeah. They're, they're on their way out. Like some I of them, the ones they're in the 30s point. and 40s, they're going to be have, they're gonna have the neck tattoos. Listen, point, but I, I, I live, now I ain't going to lie, once it starts getting the knuckle, but we also got to understand this. We're in a more sensitive time now that's challenging us to Think about these stereo the ways that we stereotype people. So right. I think we're all saying the same thing. We're saying it's present, but we're talking about the trend. Kyle is speaking on the trend of where we're going. 
and we but we are it is still relevant though. No, it's still I, I relevant understand, though. I understand what you're saying, right? But we gotta be very careful about the message we send, right? And see, it's just like us doing this podcast, right? You're up there in a the t-shirt, I'm up here in a t-shirt, Ashley's dressed relaxed. We all went to school together, right? None of us looked like this when we were in process. None of us. Okay, so we needed the credentials first. But but this is why I said this was this why I said what I said. Started from the bottom, now we're here. Think about think about what I said. Right. I said the credentials is what allows you to do it. Dr. J, listen, and I and I like to be very specific with my words. Patients, right? Are patients are a very specific population, right? The the patients seeing you look regular are gonna make you relate. That's not what I'm talking about. But before we see a patient, you got to get in the door. Sure. You got to no, get I'm hired. Good. Right? And and oh, the only point I'm saying, and Kyle, you're, you're absolutely right. I don't think you're wrong. Right? Um, but, and this is just my personal perspective. So, you know. No, you're you right. Know, no, you I mean, up. especially currently. No, if you're talking about the but, Fortune 500, no, absolutely. It's still the good old boys club. So, right? and that, that's, still, that's, my, that's my point. No, I, I, I well, totally agree well, with I you. I think the trend is turning. Absolutely. Like, if we look at these podcasts, you look at those brothers on Earn Your Leisure doing the financial stuff, right? Um, my point is their credentials are, are 100%, right? right? The only way, like, people like us, that's the only point I was trying to make. I'm not trying to disagree with y'all. Um, but the only point I'm trying to make is that the stakes are still different for us, right? So Dr. J can come into the into the hospital in a sweatsuit in Timberlands. I do it all the time, right? But at this point, it's like my name and my credentials are trapped are, are, are gonna weigh much more than my image, right? Yeah. But it, but to bring it back to what started this conversation, there's a reason why I can say that, and then I can tell you. That there was no way in four years on PCOM, even on a Saturday, if I was just going up there to grab something, that I would come up there dressed anything less than to a T, right? Because in my mind, it was about creating, I didn't want to create any obstacles, you know, that I wasn't aware of, you know? No. That message I have to send to younger people of color because unfortunately, like you can be yourself when you graduate. You can be yourself when you get your license, right? And I think that kind of brings us back to what you were saying, Kyle, correct, correct me if I'm wrong, because you were talking about things were changing. And I don't disagree with you, but I just don't think that we are the gatekeepers yet, right? We were just had a conversation about admissions before we got on here. And the biggest problem that we were talking about is not being the gatekeepers, right? If we were the gatekeepers, then we could see somebody that has a background, you know, and they started off kind of weak and they ended up strong. And we could say, yo, it may look rough around the edges, but I see potential. But or we could develop something that, that we could develop because at the end of the day, entry has to be a standard. Like we got to say that this is the standard. So we could develop like a... A D league, right? Like if we compared it to like the NBA, you know what I'm saying? Because <laughs> we, you draft somebody and be like, oh no, nah, you know, let let's send you back to the development league. So that's what we would, yeah. So we all saying the same thing. I think we're all on the same. No, we're <laughs> we're, def- we're definitely not there yet. Like the, the pride, we're, we're we're 
but you make an important point, like um, that it's still there and definitely adding the consideration of race or ethnicity adds a whole nother element to it, especially like with tattoos. So I, but, I don't I don't want to be the guy that's sitting up here making people seem making it seem like, you know, I think that all young you know people of color have to go to class and wear suits. No, but you got to get there first. I would be lying if I was saying that, you know, our image still doesn't matter, you know, and that we can create obstacles for ourselves and not even know, you know. Yeah. Um, so I mean, I'm just, you know, we got we got to like, get I'm there first. Yeah. About that's, that. that's all. No, we got we definitely got to get there first before we, like you said, we can be ourselves. And I'm happy you mentioned that because speaking of credentials, um, in somewhat hopefully positive news. Um, the FBI has recently identified that six juveniles um, as persons of interest um, in the series of bomb threats that have been targeting the HBCUs over the past month or so, or past couple months. So for those people that aren't aware, um, this past Monday and Tuesday at 17 different HBCUs, including Spelman, uh, Howard, and Delaware State, um, they were reported re uh, receiving bomb threats. So Howard had also was among the eight HBCUs um, that had received bomb threats on January 5th. So and during these threats, you know, the universities, they have to they have to, you know, take their precautions, such as sweeping the buildings. They got to clear the buildings out. They go into lockdown. Um, they have to cancel classes or cancel or classes have to go to virtual. Um, and so, you know, to, 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 be, to say it's an inconvenience to, you know, to the students and staff would be an understatement. Um, so some of the presidents and the law officials stated that the, um, the threats have, were definitely included language that suggested it was motivated by hate um, and that the threats were made over the phone. So right now they have six people uh, or six juveniles that are persons of interest or when they don't want to say suspects. Um, so, you know, hopefully this is progress. Uh, what do you think, Ashley? I'll let you go first, just kind of given how this whole you know, situation has evolved. So when I initially heard, you know, my first thought was to like get more information on what made him think it was racially motivated, you know, motivated. Cause when you said something to me, then I put it in my family chat and my aunt who happens to be a Republican and she takes a, a and I, and I highlight that because that kind of speaks to her views on things. She she said, this is why, because I, I shared an NBC link, and her thought was, this is why NBC, especially the mainstream media, has such low ratings, because it wasn't enough to simply say the FBI has identified six juveniles. She said, and it's continued to, you know, develop, they talked about, it appears to be mostly, most racially motivated because of Black History Month. She said, appears, appears to who exactly? Don't we have our, you know, minds of our own? Wake up America, you can't cure racism with more racism. So so she took it. So it, it, initially, my perspective was just, like I said, to gain more insight, more information, glad like it was just threats and no one was safe. Um, but I always like to hear feedback from other people. And when she said that, it, it, it made me start to think about other things, because at first I'm kind of thinking like, well, dang, like it is Black History Month, like. Is this a distraction? I mean, it, you, we're just so filled with so much that, you know, like it's so many thoughts that I have. But to initially to, to talk about my initial thoughts, it was just a little disappointing to have to read that, you know, amongst celebratory things. It's like, OK, now here 
is something negative that we're reading about. And that's why, you know, Kyle, when we were talking about, I had messaged you back and wanted to know if you had any more information about the um, demographics of the individuals and how that was relevant. But, you know, hearing my my aunt's perspective, where she kind of highlighted it, it appears that the goal might be to to cause more division and to cause more side eye. It just made me, you know, pause for a minute. And I told her what my thoughts were. And she says, you know, it, it makes us miss the point because we, you know, in terms of what race people are, like it, it could become self-destructive. And I want and I wanted to make sure I don't ruminate on things like that. But I think the bottom line is I'm glad it's being investigated. I mean, I on the one hand, I was glad that it um, highlighted that it might have been racially motivated because when you start to look at like crimes and how they are handled, once you the more variables added, the more comprehensive punishment or sentencing become. Mm-hmm. You see what I'm saying? Like, there's a difference in different types of behavior when you get in. And I don't claim to be a law expert, so I'm not even going to get into that. But we all know bottom line basics. The more variables you add, the more consequences that become a part of that. But then hearing my aunt's point, you know, I understood the validity in her statement and saying how it could be like a negative thing. Right. Jay, what'd you think? I mean, listen, how many HBCUs was it? Uh, it was originally it was eight or nine in January, so, and then it was seventeen this past Monday and Tuesday this past right. week. So if we had fifteen, let's just say fifteen. If we had fifteen bomb threats to abortion clinics, then it would be fair to assume that it was motivated by political beliefs, right? If there were fifteen bomb threats on Christian churches or masjids or temples, it would assume it would be fair to assume that it's religious orientation. If you have 17 bomb threats against HBCUs, historically black colleges and universities, it is logically, perfectly logical to assume that it might be racially motivated. But this is the United States that we live in, in 2022. Facts just don't make sense anymore. If they don't fit into your narrative, then you have to find a way to discredit, right? And that is, it's, it kind of doesn't even make sense to have almost to have conversations with people who have opposite political um, orientations than you because you can't go anywhere. Nobody, people just, it, it's an exercise in hearing ourselves speak, right? We have lost the art of having a conversation or entertaining a thought. People are insulted to entertain a thought, right? And again, not to go off on a tangent, Facts do not add up. Go on. So if we have 15 bomb threats with historically black colleges and universities, I'm sorry, my degree from Howard University leads me to believe that it might be racially motivated, right? So my answer to this is that I'm horrified, but I'm not surprised. Yeah, for me, um, it it appeared to be uh, targeted intimidation towards black students. Um, Like you said, it's, it's, you're strictly, you know, targeting HBCUs where the population is majority African-American students. Um, and it's unfortunate. Um, like you said, it's I'm happy that everybody's safe, um, that, you know, I'm not going to say that these threats were unfounded because you don't know. Right. I'm just happy that everyone's safe. No, no destruction and, and, um, and nobody was harmed. Um, 
But it seems like this is your, you know, they're overtly targeting black students um, that are trying to educate themselves. And, you know, it's always a bigger scheme of things, right? It's not for me. I'm looking at it like, okay, yeah, they're, they're targeting HBCUs, which, of course, you know, I feel a certain type of way of trying to take a personal being, you know, an alumni of an HBCU. Um, but you got to look at it like, okay, what's the goal of this, right? The goal is not just to, okay, you know, disrupt the students, um, you know, their schedule and things, because it's it's larger in the grand scheme of things, right? You have students that are trying to find, they're trying to educate themselves and they're trying to find their voice in society, right? And so the goal is to try to disrupt that. But not only that, it's a situation where it's not about the schools or the physical building itself, it's what they represent, right? So you have people that are trying to inflict fear and intimidation um, the same way that they did with the black churches, right, years ago, right? We know that where do our leaders come from, right? Our leaders come from, just like we talked about our credentials at these HBCUs, right? These are going to be our future physicians, lawyers, engineers, you name it, accounting. They all mostly start at these HBCUs. So if they can get into a situation where like, okay, let's target these HBCUs, let's get people to say, you know what, they might be reluctant or fearful to, to go to these schools or the schools have to shut down or whatever disruption that they can cause, then it's like they're you're affecting the root of things right so that's what kind of thought you know thought process i came to it where it's just like all right it's bigger than just the schools they're just actually trying to get they're trying to head us off you know what i mean before some of our future leaders get started and you know i, I feel bad you know especially for the students because one you you know you have that to feel unsafe we've talked about and we've learned through our schooling that that's the worst thing to have right that's the most basic thing that you can have with and when you don't have that, it's really difficult to concentrate and comp thing. You know, it's not fair to them when they're just there trying to get their education. They're having, you know, they can't go to class. They can't go out on campus and kind of live and do some of their daily activities. So, you know, I really feel for them. And it's unfortunate, you know, that these, you know, uh, type of tactics are still, you know, being targeted, you know, at some of our young kids who may have difficulty, um, you know, regulating that frustration, might have difficulty kind of processing. I mean, they're, all, they're aware of what racism is, and maybe some have experienced it before, maybe some have it. Um, but this, you know, this is targeted scare tactics and intimidation that they're trying to, you know, cut us off at the root. Um, and absolutely, they need, to, they need to trump on the charges for me. And maybe this is coming from a personal aspect, but I do absolutely feel like this is racially motivated, and they need to, you know, do their same due diligence as if they were this were going you know being targeted at synagogues right if there were these other different um other maybe ethnic ethnicity or or uh religious type of um agencies or locations now like these people whoever's doing this needs to be brought up you know and persecuted to the full extent So it's unfortunate. I really feel bad for the kids, you know, because they're the ones who are having their lives disrupted. Right. And, you know, you, know you don't you don't want you don't want anything casting any shadow or any gem of doubt in these kids trying to go to school and trying to accomplish and get on with their lives. Because, again, these are the future leaders of they're going to take us. They're going to they're going to be along that trend that we just talked about. The only, only other thing I was going to add is just like think about it. Like we're in the era where it's like we got kids or young adults in school and they got to worry about worry about possibly going to school and being infected with COVID, you know, possibly bringing that home, um, infecting the children, family members, and now they have to worry about 
their physical safety when they're just trying to go to school. Right. I mean, social media, unfortunately, doesn't, you know, it enables more, you know, people to act more anonymously, right? So they can, however, they can call in and then they can go online and share and say what they're targeting and, and it can be done anonymously, you know? So um, I hope that they continue, you know, we'll continue to monitor this, uh, but I, these folks need to be held responsible, whether they're juveniles, adults, because guess what? Even with juveniles, somebody's putting them up to this. I mean, let's keep it 100, right? Like they're not, they didn't, these juveniles, I mean, they didn't wake up and say, hey, let's go after HBCUs. No, somebody's directing them and put it and telling is instructing them to go off HBCUs. Like I know there are there are, I'm sure there are plenty of kids that you know that are alive and maybe they don't like HBCUs. But I I, I kind of you know this this feels like they're getting direction and instruction from kind of like you know more adults that are instructed <laughs> to do this. You know what I mean? <laughs> right. They, like they said, they high tech kids, so someone is. Encouraging them to utilize their skill set for this kind of this exactly. kind of stuff. So you know, we'll continue to monitor it. Um, you know, Je uh, Ashley, I know you, you you stay busy. You know, you, you're also uh, you got so many different obligations. So I want you to give you the opportunity to pump what you're doing to advertise where you're doing, where we're gonna hear and see you next and stuff. Go ahead, get, get, go, get let off, let off. <laughs> so again, thank you all so much. This has been a highlight of my Sunday. It's like it's like this like soul food Sunday. It's like soul service. <laughs> I always feel empowered for the week. So I just want to say thank you. Starting with that. I do have my handle up here, Pool of Positivity on Instagram. Um, I definitely am a proponent of social media and mental health. I kind of fell off for a little bit, but I do like to post a lot of things about positive vibes. Again, as Kyle stated in the beginning, I'm all about black love and relationships. Not currently accepting any new clients now, but I can definitely point you in the right direction if you are looking for that. Um, one major thing that I'm looking forward to chatting with you guys offline about is teaming up with one of my mentors. His name is Dr. Sam Hasty. I sent you all his LinkedIn, but I'm, I want to get him up here because in talking about relationships, you know, we don't have to wait till Valentine's day to do that. And you all always have great perspective. And I think just seeing black men discuss these topics is always helpful. So follow me on the gram. If you want to learn more, I do have a professional Facebook. You can just Google Dr. Ashley Poole and it will come up there. But um, yeah, well, that's nope. pretty conversation much it. with the Kennys. What we got going on? That's coming Absolutely. up. Absolutely. Six o'clock. We're going to be doing conversations with the Kennys. My favorite tagline is to say we talk about love, dating and all things in between. Tune in. They're a couple. They've been married for 20 years. You know, I've never been married. You know, I'm trying to get there and relationships are work. Like when they say their work, that's exactly what it means. But again, I appreciate you brothers for having me on. And I can't wait to connect with y'all again so we can get some more things popping in 2022. So absolutely. Jay, Jay, hold up that hold up that uh, thing, Jay. Put that up. Yeah, remember check out Black Welfare. Absolutely. So absolutely continue to support that. Um, Jay, great episode. We we you know we were blessed with with Dr. P came through. And just straight bless the mic. Always, bro. You know, so we appreciate everybody joining. Um, again, we're going to continue to keep the contact coming. We appreciate uh, the feedback. A lot of you guys suggested a lot of different articles and ideas and some topics for us to talk about. So we appreciate that. We appreciate the views. We appreciate uh, continue to subscribe. A lot of people have been sharing, have been hitting me and Jay and, um, and DMing us. Um, so we appreciate all the love and support. 
So uh, absolutely the same way we're live right now. So again, we're always trying to make it interactive. Uh, we'll get this up and running and out to people, you know, and uh, we appreciate the love. So just continue to subscribe, continue to share, um, send ideas, the black psychologist podcast at gmail.com. Jay, anything before we get out of here? Uh, nothing much. Just again, always want to take anybody to take, uh, want to thank anybody who takes the time to listen. Um, Please continue to comment, um, share the videos, and remember, you know, prioritize your mental health. Absolutely. So we wish everybody good mental health, and we will uh, we'll see you next time. Appreciate it. See, all right, Jack. All right, bro.